Hello, I'm Simon Blake, and this is Just About Coping. My guest this week is Carl Robinson, manager of Oxford United Football Club. At the time of recording, Oxford United are a League One club, which is the third flight of men's English football. Now, I don't know that much about football, but I was blown away by Carl's openness and his passion for change within the sport. Amongst other things, we talked about the way his club are leading the way on player well-being, breaking down the stigma of mental health in male-dominated environments, Carl's journey as a manager and learning to bring his whole self to work. We also talked about difficult issues currently within the game, such as racism and homophobia. It was a really enjoyable conversation. But a reminder that this was recorded back in early February and next week's episode will be recorded remotely. So here you are, my conversation with Carl. So Carl, welcome to Mental Health First Aid England and thanks very much for joining us today. Can we just start by telling us a bit about yourself? We're obviously here talking about my whole self. If you were to just describe yourself to somebody in the street, what would you say about you? <laughs> um, happy, family orientated, probably desperate to win. I don't know. I, I, I've never really looked at myself that way. I just, I just try and me personally. I just want to be happy. I want to smile. I want, I want my family to be okay, and I want to win games of football. Uh, it's a bit shallow, maybe, but it's. Uh, it's just the way I am. Nothing shallow about wanting to win. So you talked a bit there about work, a bit about home. If you were to think of yourself, are there different versions of you at home and and at work? 100% Sam, yeah. I struggled a lot with really early on with, with trying to be the macho man leading 30 men into battle to win games of football and then going home and trying to be that soft father and, and loving husband that, that I want to be and... I, I, I struggled quite when I first started doing it. I didn't really know where I was at because you can't just switch from one emotion to the other by getting in your car and getting out of your car. So, yeah, I am completely different. Um, I think over time it's something that I've tried to work on to try and be a little bit more of me more often than the boss or the manager. And I think that's sort of the age, age and experience and, and difficult moments that you have in your life you sort of realise, is it really worth this being an act um, rather than just trying to become yourself? And since I've sort of, I've trialled one or two things and I've failed in some of the aspects of it, but I've, I think I've become better at my job being the person that I am at home a little bit more in work. Uh, so I am, I, at the beginning, I'd say I was completely different. And But now the, the longer I get doing this and all, the older I get, uh, or the softer I get really the the more I'm trying to be a little bit more parallel with the two worlds that I live in yeah. it's interesting you use the term softer and often uh, if you look at education people use hard skills and soft skills and the yeah the business focus and the yeah. the attention to mental health and well-being maybe considers the soft stuff and clearly you've got a winning formula here and actually what you've got is Oxford United leading the way in terms of player well-being mm. you've got a psychotherapist that has been in your business yeah. in your workplace and it's it's having results. So you want to tell us a bit about what motivated that? You know, is yeah. It- um, there was a gentleman that came into my life in 2014 called Simon Edwards. 
just uh, through a, a doctor who works in Harley Street said, listen, Carl, I think he's a psychologist. Do you want to have a chat with him? I met him. Uh, he became one of the biggest influences on my life at a very difficult time. And he uh, he sadly passed away about three years ago. And it was a, bit, a massive void filled in my life personally, the person that I went to see to to be a better me mm. uh, or better version of me. Uh, and then Gary came along and just sort of... I, I knew that we all get transfixed on trying to win and we're all trying to be these this somebody that fans want you to be or people want you to be. But that could be one of the fastest tracks to getting you lost in who you actually are. Mm. And uh, once we brought him in, he, he didn't half. He spoke to a few people privately. It's not about winning. Yeah. That's my job. Um, it's about my players understanding that they, that they have to be themselves. And whether it be a relationship issue, whether it be a, a parental problem, whether it be bills, it's something that can actually be a the stress elements of it can be sort of really sort of suppressed by not being able to talk to somebody. So I just thought it was right to bring somebody in and I'm I'm a massive advocate of trying to promote mental health and, and, and lose the stigma of what it actually is. But at the same time, where does resilience come in? Mm-hmm. Where does the ability to win come in? And it's that in the sporting world or in any business world, it's where that fine line really does get drawn. But I do think kids get things far too easy nowadays. I do think school and education gives things out very easy if, if, just by being there. Um, and there's no drive to become successful to a small element of it. But at the same time, that the other side of the argument is, well, we've got to have more care and attention for these people to make them a better version of themselves. And Gary's been a big influence on an awful lot of things. And he wouldn't say it's had an effect on the results, but I think it's had an effect of them as people and made them... If you're happy in your job, you perform better. So having invited a psychotherapist into uh, yeah. the club, clearly what you have said is we're going to take responsibility for you. We're going to look after mm. you. And perhaps one of the reasons that people don't do it is because it's easier to ignore it. Do you feel that sense of responsibility? I feel it's like anything in life, if you turn your back on it, it's easier to deal with. Um, not just mental health. Uh, so yeah, I do feel that there's a, there's a fear in getting involved in this because people are frightened to bring up something in somebody else that could trigger something that then could spiral in a, in a, in, a, in a crazy way and out of control way. But I think the one thing I had to be confident on with doing this was that you're bringing the right person in. And we were, at the, we were at a psychotherapist convention of the week and, and one of the psychologists, uh, Dr. Carl stepped over, he was, he was very, very good. And he was um, he was talking about, there's so many, it's, it's so fragmented at the moment, psychology and psychotherapy and, and, and counselling and support mechanisms that they've got to come together. I think if you have the right person in, the, you're safe with that environment. But every day now, I, I'm more conscious of it, I see more things. Uh, and I mean, it is a fear, but I'd rather cope with that, knowing that people are safe. And if if somebody was to do something out of control, say things they they go into a tackle in training or they they do something not what they would normally do, like uh, for instance, have an argument or create some crazy hysteria on a football pitch. But actually, when you step back, and I'm now look I look at this now with a diff- normally I'd go. That was out of order. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that. But now I go, 
okay, relax. Let's go back and let's, and then I'll, I'll make sure I'll speak to that person and go, is everything okay? Because mm. that's out of context for you. Yeah. And then on the other aspect of it, that if you've got a footballer who's in a difficult place, he'll be in a difficult place with or without yeah. the psychotherapist person being there. So if something happens while we're trying to deal with it, so there's two aspects of, of how now this has really changed our, our thought process. One, I dream of my players different, but on the training pitch, if they do something completely out of character, yeah. I've heard this, oh, his, his head's gone. Yeah. And in our world, that was, oh, it'll be all right tomorrow. Yeah. That was, the, that was the thought process. Now with having Gary on board, I'll hear them still getting said. And I'll go, just be careful. Just be careful. Let me let me deal with that. Yeah. Gary sort of said, listen, there's different things that you can use, different words that you can use. So you're like, how's the family okay? Yeah. Everything is this okay? And then I just and, and it's amazing how people then go, not really, Gaffer, no. This has happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden I go, right, go and see have a chat with Gary. Listen, he's brilliant, you know he's a great guy. He'll have a conversation with you and just see if, if he can help you out away from football. Yeah. And that's the way we sort of, we do it. Um, but equally, everyone knows he's there. But on, on the other side of it, the fear of having somebody in to create a problem, it's not, it's solving a problem. Because yeah. if somebody's in a difficult moment in their life, like I say, it doesn't matter who's there, but it does because you can have some sort of influence on it. Yeah. So, and every day now, we have you do have that fear element of, I think because my, my mind's more open to so many different things that goes on in people's lives because yeah. I talk about it more and I'm more open about it. And so what was people's response when you first said that you were going to bring Gary into into the setup? Yeah, in, into winning. His, know, his nickname was Gary the Nut. Which was like quite shallow at the time. That that was the sort of the the pushback you were getting off certain players, and but we persevered with it. And and the, it's how do you see them? Because obviously, even with MHFA England, it's it, we're only set of a signposting all the time. Mm-hmm. It's that signposting element of how can you signpost somebody to somebody if they feel uncomfortable being signposted into that room or into that part of the building? Because if the scene walking down there is the perception that that person's got something wrong mm-hmm. or not in a good place. Is he then worried if the manager season goes down that he's not in a good place for him to be picked on the Saturday? Yeah. So we had so many different conversations and so many different um, debates on how we deal with it. I think the big thing is what the players certainly understand is if they're going to see somebody, I'm not going to judge you. Mm-hmm. That That's the last thing that I'm going to do. And that's the barrier that we had to break down, that they're not going to be judged by going to see somebody. And it's okay to see somebody. It's okay to talk. And uh, yeah, I think a few people have used it really well. Some players still don't want to do it. They feel a little bit put off by it. But I'm sure over time, we'll break down them barriers very, very slowly. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, yeah, it's it's got to get to that point, hasn't it? Where in the same way you'd see your physiotherapist, that you would talk and see... Yeah, somebody to talk about your performance and your well-being. Yeah, those those things. It, this infuriates me. My player will pull a hamstring, and I'll go gaffer my hamstring. It's stiff. It's sore. I go and see the physio. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. I've never had the player come to me and said, 
Gaffer, I don't feel right today. I feel a bit low. And now I've done over 500 games. I've been in the industry since 16 and 40 now, nearly. And I've never had that conversation. Yeah. Now, we all know with the stats that we get, that at some stage, that would have been a reason why a player didn't want to train or didn't want to play. But it's cool to be have a hamstring. It's it's not it's not cool, but it's it's accepted. Yeah. But we have to make it accepted for somebody to say, "I'm struggling. I'm having a bad day. I need to see somebody." And these are things that we've got to break down these barriers, and we've got to make sure that people have an ability to be themselves, regardless of your religion, anything, whatever it may be, and become less judgmental of people. And I think we have a very judgmental industry that we need to break down these these barriers and these these things that are being built up over time. And yeah, arguably football is an area where it's not just mental health, is it? You've got you know, recent experience around racism, you've got yep. homophobia, you know, which they're clearly you know, no recent times out player. So is mental health part of that wider cultural... And to talk about men's game, actually, here, I think it's important to not fall into the trap of talking about women and men's football um, in the same breath. But is it all part of that bigger point, which is actually we've got to enable people to be able to thrive on and off the pitch? Well, for all of the things you just said, it it doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't, it, it, it really doesn't. And I think I've never seen any of the above seen within a football club ever yet I can guarantee you there's a gay footballer right now that is not speaking out sure it has to be yeah we know that so this, these people don't feel comfortable about being able to say who they are or what they want to be and that's sad and that's and that's why the more and more we talk about so many different elements of our world and we can sort of compress it into football because it is a, it is a very good driver and, and with, with different racial issues that we have I think we're never going to stamp it out unfortunately because you're always going to have the absolute clown that has no understanding of that person's well-being but we can we can break down barriers and we can we can move further on with these situations to make people feel more comfortable but it's crazy so we played the game and was 30 plus thousand there. After 10 minutes, a song breaks out. You're just a fat James Corden, which my daughter, I turn around and see my daughter and thankfully she's been around my industry for long enough. She's seen the funny side of that. Mm-hmm. But if I was in a difficult place or a difficult moment, which I have been in my career, mm-hmm. that could have been something that I could have felt really insecure about. But when you've got 30,000 people singing it to you, but it's, that's always going to be part of the football chanting, the football sort of way. But I, I just I just truly want people to have a better understanding of people's mindset of where they're at or the backstory. The key thing in all of this is, is there is a difference, isn't there, between kind banter and abuse. And yeah, one of the things around camaraderie <laughs> yeah. is, is one thing, but actually then directed anger prejudice however it manifests itself has an impact on people so just be interested you know given that we know that footballers managers 
and other people involved in football show my expertise in football here. <laughs> uh, come under the spotlight. You've done well. You've do done it. very well. You've, we've, <laughs> gone, we've gone so far with you actually admitting about your knowledge of football. <laughs> but I think, I think it's one of them ones where I think when, for instance, and this is what I say to all my players, that so what is banter? Yeah. Banter is, is, is a way of conversing with somebody that trusts you. Mm-hmm where you can say whatever you want mm-hmm. because you know their backstory, you know where they're at in their life, you know you feel comfortable with them and almost to the point of, regardless of your of anything of who you are as a person, anything can be said because you, you, you know the buttons that you can and can't and you, you push yourself to a limit. But of whatever mean you say in here and we walk out there just into the corridor, whatever was funny in here because of a trust might be damning on somebody's well-being mindset and all of a sudden could actually enlighten something in their head that actually is a negative thought process which could be damning to who they are as a person mm. so it's just understanding having an ability to understand of where you're at and what you were doing at that particular time with your humour uh, and I hear so many things said in dressing rooms and, and like I said but I don't see any racism within within a football dressing room it's not I've never heard it I've never seen it but we know it exists in the, in the outside world within our industry because we have a very close knit like there'll be 30 guys who change together um, do everything together mm. so they know each other they know the families they know the the parents they know the kids so and there's, there's no segregation regardless of where you're from so I, I, I don't but the banter aspect of it and it um, every day we, we laugh over different things but I think sometimes the things we laugh about internally within a football club will be deemed as a negative thing externally but we only say it because we trust each other well that's the key bit isn't it there's, there's the trust and I guess what it's difficult to have a relationship of trust with 30,000 people uh, and uh, that whole bit about you know we've always seen people as athletes haven't we you know and, and rather than as people and uh, social media enables that dehumanisation you know, slightly um, more. And then, you know, that if people yeah, are from particular backgrounds or um, have particular identities are often dehumanised even more. I mean, in your contact with fans and others, do you get the sense that they recognise that they are real people with real lives and, you know, as you said, real, real experiences and real good days and bad days? No. No, we're a number. My daughter's read things on Twitter. My wife read things on Twitter that's been sent to them. It's just horrendous. Horrendous. Um, all because I lost a game of football. It doesn't... It just doesn't make sense. It, it truly doesn't. Um, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on, I'm not on any social media. Um... It's something I've tried to train myself. I don't generally read much media. Um, Sensible man. I, I, re- I listen to podcasts on people that I'm interested in um, who have experiences and an ability to speak and people that I respect. Um, so I don't... And I listen to music just to take myself... My car is my sanctuary. Mm. Uh, and only people who phone me in my car are people I trust. And it's only music that I like. So that's my way of getting away from it. But I don't think people truly have an understanding and we, we listen but even just recently with the, the, the stories that we're hearing about how the press and the public can prejudge somebody without even knowing them 
it's quite sickening and quite damning that that we're, that we're in 2020 and we're having issues with people being critical over someone's personality. And I, 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 don't, I don't truly think that... It wasn't the reason why Twitter was set up. It wasn't the reason why Instagram was set up. It wasn't set up for the reasons why probably 80% of people use it. Well, I say 80% is a bit harsh, probably 50% of people that use it. Um, and it's now become a platform for negativity. But equally, on top of that, I have to be honest, and I see people on it who just want to self-promote with all of the... I seen something the other week with a, a young woman with a bikini looking phenomenal and it's somewhere. Now that can be make people feel completely insecure about their own body and their own well-being. It, it's it should have it should be something that connects families, connects friends, shows what's what they're doing, not how many clicks they get or thank you for my one million follower mm. um, because I've promoted something. It's not something that I ever want in my world. Um, it should be for business use. It should be for promotion of positive things. Um, and there should be a better handle on it, I think, by the people, the powers that be within their organisations. And if you you could probably pull up... Um, I would, you know what? I, I was weird. I was coming here before and somebody sent me some things that people wrote about me, wrote about me and uh, when we were getting beat. And I've kept them on my phone. For what reason? Because not too long ago, them saying people are telling people how I'm the best manager they've seen. So it just shows you where that is coming from. And I keep it on my phone because every now and then I have a little look at it and just smile and just know that I'm the same person that I was then to what I am today. I'll put a bit of weight on, <laughs> but I'm generally the same person. Um, and these are all little things. They're just little things that I've used and this is what Simon helped me with um, when I had a difficult time, how to cope with with some of these moments and these these times in your life mm. and which give you triggers to, to, to make you a better person or to cope with the negativity. And so you talked at the beginning of this podcast about you know, that there's a, uh, a separation between home and work. And what you've just described, of course, is that actually you're one person. You may have some bits of you at work, yeah. but that sense of how people may think you know you're a person or a different person you may go into work you may not but actually what you've just described is one curl yeah you happens to be in different places or different spaces at different times. yeah but i think like this first time we've met today and i know a lot about you already because obviously you do bring a lot of you in into work and i think it's interesting even the campaign that it's mid-march isn't it i think that you're about to launch or bring your whole self to work campaign as well and it's a real interesting concept because I don't think people do I think they bring very small fragments of it that they, they only bring people only bring to work what they think people in work want to see about them or hear about them mm-hmm. rather than actually coming in and actually being yourself um, and letting people know that something has gone bad in your day something's gone good in your morning something's something about your your pet something about your family life something about your child something about your partner and it's a really interesting way of looking at it because I don't think a lot of people do. And I, I, I do think it's 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 a way of actually, it's almost like a vice on your personality. Mm. It's sort of stopped and it's clamped here. And there's so much more either side of it that people are actually or should be more interested in. Yeah. But actually you're frightened to let to open this vice up and allow so much more in because you it's almost like 
um, like playing poker, you keep your cards so close to your chest because you don't want anybody else to see it because you feel strong and powerful mm. in your hand when you're sat there with them cards. Once you put them on the table, everybody knows what you've got. And it's a very similar form. But in the reverse, that in the workplace, that's good that people know the good, the bad of, of you because it allows people to build up a better backstory to, to, to understand how to, to, to deal with you in a bad in a bad day or a good day. And I think it, it'd be quite an interesting when it does run live and when it does get out there, I think it'll, it won't half make a big difference to people. Mm. And I think the most important bit for me in this is... Um that clearly you know we all put clothes on to go to work there are rules of engagement with work there's a relationship of trust Mm. between the employer um, and employee and there are some things that you want to share and some things you don't so this isn't you know put everything out on the table behave how how you want but there is something isn't there about for some people they feel as though it is not okay so again if you go back to football as you said there will be a gay footballer somewhere who doesn't feel able to be themselves they will be in self-preservation mode whether that's about what they talk about where they've been that has to impact on performance right yeah but the, the bosses at the companies that need to have a better understanding of people that work there as well because <sighs> we'll go back to performance if i have a gay footballer that is frightened to come out and tell me who he is as a person that will starve talent yeah. It will. It will suppress it. It will. It will drag the air away. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're we're paid to win. Yeah. So actually, by that person being allowed to be themselves within our team environment, makes us a better team. Yeah. So, but like any business, whether in the banking world, if people feel comfortable with who they are and how they dress and how they go into work, you'll get a better a better a better performing person. Yeah. So it actually has a as a an effect on your business as well yeah which everyone gets judged on different things that they do in work so and I, and I do you know what I'd be um, I get sometimes quite embarrassed by the person that I was when I first started managing I was the youngest I was 29 years of age told I'd never ever do it that age um, and I look back with complete embarrassment to the person that I was in 2010 to the one I know everyone puts these selfies out like 2010 a decade if I wrote down that person to this person today it's a completely different manager um, and weirdly I feel better than myself so just just proof in that yeah. that I felt being a manager was standing six foot all the time finger pointing and you do this and you do that and you get in here and never backing down to anybody and, and going home tired fatigued upset, sad, hurt and trying to then be wife saying, what are you doing that for? That's not you. It is me. Leave me alone. Well, I've been, we've been together for 17 years nearly and she obviously knows the person before the management, the person's just going into it and you start to do things, you start acting like a manager. I went to a, a meeting, the first meeting I went to, I was 29, the next youngest person was like 34 and everybody else was like 50 plus, 45 to 50 plus. It will come soon, don't worry. I know, no, no, but I'll be the I'll be there first. And I opened up that person. I remember sat in the back of the room and there's like big managers, like big, big managers and people I've looked up to. And there's one called Mick McCarthy, who I know is like really respected and really outspoken. And what you clasped years ago with what people called, oh yeah, he's, a, he's the one we all follow. And he's a great man as well. 
a great man. So I'm sat there and thinking, it was voting. So I'm thinking, right. But the first one, somebody did something against one of them. And one of the senior managers went, no, no, you're wrong. Why, why did, and the person sort of shrunk a little bit. So in my head now thinking, right, I'm going to copy them two. So put your hand up if you think we should have this rule next season, rule 13 point whatever. So I'm sitting there. They've not put their hand up yet. And then they both put their hand up. And went, because I was frightened to be me. Mm. I thought that was right to follow the people that I respected. And I did that for a few years. And then all of a sudden it hit me that I wasn't being true to who I am. Um, and not until that I have a bad time that I, that I truly understand that when I lost somebody, that I lost my way. And that I realised I couldn't keep being somebody that I'm not. You just talked briefly about um, you know, some of your own experiences yeah. and a, a bit about struggling. I just, yeah, you, you willing to share? Yeah, there's a, there's a time where um, a good friend of mine, um, I was actually about to sign. I just got offered a new job. I'd just been promoted. And me and my wife were going off on a... We said, right, we'll take the car, we'll get in the train and let's just go. We've got three and a half weeks. We'll go wherever we want to go. And then I got a phone call from um, an owner in the Middle East to say that we want your service next season, whatever it costs, we're willing to pay. And uh, I went, wow. And I phoned the guy called Andy King, who's the best man in my life. He was an unbelievable... No, my dad is, but except for my family. Um, he's just so upfront with me. And a person that could come up to me and say, you were wrong there today. You were rude to that person. Go and apologise. And I go, uh, I wasn't. You were. And he's just a, just a real good mentor. And I was speaking to him about going to this club and we were singing songs and um, he was 60 and he, was, he had a short fuse and he he said, if I send the email to my wife's email, B-A-K-I-N-G at gmail.com. I said, baking at gmail.com. No, B-A-K. And he was one of these stubborn people and he, he lost it with me on the phone. I went, no, no, it's baking. Write it down. And he, we were laughing and joking and he said, he was singing songs and it was two o'clock in the morning so they'll call you tomorrow. And then we were driving from, um, towards Lyon on the road going down there and I was on the phone to a friend of mine and he rang me once and twice and three times and four times. And then his best mate who I fell out with in a weird way, he rang me three times. I was like, supposed to for two years, a bit strange. Then, he, then Andy King goes again and I'm thinking, a bit strange. And this, this guy called Mick Harford who's like a legend in football terms ring me, I go, oh, Mick, what's going on? I'm on the phone. He goes, hey, Andy's just passed away. I said, it's impossible. He's just rang me. Like, he went, no, it's his wife. She wanted you to know. And I just, that one moment, and I just had the stress of a whole season. And I was I was trying to keep everything in over the course of the season. This one moment where I just get this news that I didn't expect. And then I remember getting to Leon and I went for a run. And it, it's just the best way for me to deal with things, just going for a run. I don't think people truly understand actually staying fit can have such a positive effect on your mindset. And, um, oh, you don't have to run, you can walk. And just, I was going in these main, like, botanical type of gardens with my wife and we just jogging. She looked at me and went, I don't know what to do. I, I, when we got in the car, we drove to, um, went to Lake Como and fine and went across the garden and into Venice. And I fell for the first time in life in Venice. Obviously, there's no roads. So I felt trapped. I was in this stunning hotel and, so on the top floor, and I felt weird. And I felt, I just looked, I said to my missus, I can't be bothered, I don't know what the point is. I don't know what, what 
I don't know. So I went downstairs to my room and just felt trapped, just broke down, just gone. And it wasn't about maybe him, him passing was the final straw. But I think what I'd done over a period of time, I wanted to look strong in this in this promotion run. That I showed no weakness, no sign of weakness, um, which everyone thought was extremely strong and shallow, narrow-minded, whatever you want to call it. But I, I wanted to win so badly. And I think this was a spiralling effect. And I, I phoned Simon and he calmed me down. And if it wasn't for him, I don't know where, I don't know what I would have done. And he just spoke to me and then I got back home. Went to bed when it, about three weeks later, come back for the funeral and I was in bed and I had this real weird premonition of something outside my house. So I got on the phone to the LMA, which is the League Manager Association, and said, Listen, I need to see someone. I need to see somebody quick. And I was in London by eight thirty in the morning, booked in with somebody to see, and I was so lucky that I was in an industry that had that availability. And this is the bit I want to change because I was a lucky one that I could see someone the next day and I sat down, we went through all of the things that I'd gone through and he said, listen, you don't need any medication, it's just a case of your mindset right now, we've got to make sure that we, we put you in a bed. It's anxiety, it's this, it's that. So, and then when I started doing through some coping mechanisms and and just picturing and, and having a positive mindset in my brain, it didn't have changes for me as a person and People always looked at me and gone, oh, he's six foot two, he's in football, he's he's always smiling, he's always like easy going, he's in the pub with his mates, he's out with his wife, he's playing with his daughter, he's doing all sorts of things. People didn't know that was just wasn't the person who I was. There's a book called um, Living on a Volcano, uh, wrote by Michael Calvin, written by Michael Calvin, who's a sports editor, sports writer, one of the best. He wrote um, the rugby player, the Welsh rugby player's book as well as biography. And it was a phenomenal read about when he was going to take his own life mm-hmm. and he took him to the cliff edge and he said he got took his clothes off and he's just a phenomenal writer. And uh, Living on a Volcano is 15 managers and it speaks about our experiences. There's a, a gentleman called Martin Ling who suffered with some mental health issues um, for a long period of time and it talks about like sort of we live on this volcano that's just and it, it is literally we are just waiting to erupt and I told the story about um, we got beat on the Saturday my daughter was five I was in a mood I go to a restaurant after getting beat I know people are looking where you live because they go to the games and I don't look I don't smile I just look at my wife and just eat she used to think it was her for many years and uh, but I went to the swings the next day and my daughter said something to me, and I, I just love her to death. I just do, I can't, words can't put into how much she means to me. And she did something stupid, and she is stupid. She's brilliant, and she's incredibly stupid by that. And she loves, she likes playing the clown. And she, I started laughing so much. This person says, oh, £20 that cost me yesterday, and you think it's funny getting beat. I, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to laugh, I'm sorry. I told the story in this book. I think that had a bigger effect on me that moment than what I actually thought that particular time. Now, I wasn't allowed to be happy with my daughter on a Sunday. Yeah. I was hurt for getting beat. Yeah. I'm a terrible loser. Yeah. I, I'll always will be. That's what I do. But I don't want to be a terrible dad. Yeah. And I don't <clears> want to miss them moments with my daughter that she's laughing. And, um, and maybe that might have had a bigger effect possibly have a bigger effect than what I actually thought at that particular time. It's powerful, isn't it? It's um, yeah, those moments that you 
that you experience. And yeah, but I sometimes speak of it, and my experiences are very, very small. A very good friend of mine, Daddy Cipriani, who who's come out this week and spoke about obviously Caroline Flack and different scenarios that he's dealt with and gone through. And I was I was coming down here today, and a very high profile name in the world of sport was. I was telling him where I was coming and and what we were doing, and he was saying, "Oh, I had some." terrible issues at the beginning of my career and but I didn't know where to go to so I just went out <laughs> and that was people's way of dealing with things mm. like drinking yeah. um, and that's stereotyping it, it wasn't everybody's way of dealing with things so I don't want people to find that as I wasn't being shallow in that but a lot of people within my industry if you look at it was the it was the thing to do it was to go and have a drink because we're all better self-medicate yeah and it's not and I guess this type of conversation and the sorts of conversations that I suspect you have in your club and in your networks is actually how this changes. Like it's it's not going to change yeah. Yeah, overnight. So you're thinking about your openness and, and my experience of your openness. What sort of impact do you think yeah, that has on the what? club and your network? Massively. Oh, but I want to tell you, I want to just go back a little bit. Because what you just said just resonates with... Do you know how shallow people really are sometimes? I had the... Somebody who works a psychologist, weirdly, who said that we're only doing this for our own egos. Now, Very Freudian. That's funny, because I'm sure your job is to help people, when, as you well know, we, we're just doing this because we want people to be to understand that it's okay to be themselves. And, and I also hear, oh, that mental health stuff, it's an excuse well, for the people who use it as an excuse, they would have found another excuse anyway. But, you know, if it helps one person in every hundreds of thousands of people, it's worthwhile. Mm. But, it, like I say, 55 and a half million people in the United Kingdom, one in four people in 2020 will have some sort of mental health setback or difficult moment. And on top of that, it's men taking their own life under the age of 40 is one of the biggest killers. Is that not serious enough to talk about? Yeah. Is that an excuse? I, I hope football, like within them stats, 16 million people go and watch football in our country. Yeah. Over the court or play on it or play on a Sunday or Saturday or go to games. So it's nearly a third of our population that we can hit. That means, but there's 4 million people who go and watch football who are going to have a difficult moment this year. Mm. Now, <laughs> it beggars belief that people don't don't understand the importance of this and that one in four of course doesn't even include the people who be bereaved who are divorced separate who'll have an illness you know, yeah, all sorts of other things as well yeah. so the numbers are actually much bigger I guess it's really yeah I think what you've just said is so key is you know is that not a reason? You know, and you, uh, you know, if that's an excuse, but actually the the facts are stark, aren't they? And and you know, we need people to be having this type of conversation wherever that is, whatever industry. If you were to take the opportunity that football gives with those sixteen million people, and it was grasped with both hands by fans, by managers, by players, by the powers within the industry, what would happen if you were to lead the way in shifting stigma, promoting positive mental health? Positive mental health is one of the best sources of 
of medical support out there. It truly is. And there's people that do need medical services to, to, to support their own health. Yeah. So this is we're not we're not going away and talking about oh this is all we've got to talk about now because there's so many other reasons why people need to live their life for the better, and I just because it's seen as a a manly game and this is this is this is a tribal way of a, of a century of people dads 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 going a game and it used to be people would go to the game oh we work Monday to Friday. We go to the pub on a Saturday morning. We go to the game. We go home, and we go to back to work on the on the on the family on a Sunday and back to work on a Monday. Football's changed. It it truly has changed, and I think it's changed for the better. Obviously, the the problem that we have now with with social media, there's there's more people that can get involved in it. But there's so many different types of people now that go and sit in a stadium, and you want that you want it to be a safe haven for people to go and enjoy uh, a spectacle that they want to go and watch and I do think that the chairmen I think managers have a, have a key role 90 odd of us that's all there is um, there's not many like I say we're in a very small minority of um, people but we have an, an audience and I don't want anybody to use this as a way of getting further in life it's not about that it's not about what money people can earn from this or earn from that, even though people do need to earn money, and I get that as well. But I just want football to be a driver. I want it to go and be the pinnacle of the sport world of how we can deal with it. I've got so many... We had a meeting with, with your wonderful staff two weeks ago, and I met Prince William. I, I went straight from here to, to go and meet him in the afternoon. We had like 25, 30 minutes just speaking about how we can change a generation mm-hmm. and how we can affect, how we can use sport to be a driver. Because it, it is, it does have, it does appeal to masses. Yeah. So we have a greater voice. Um, but equally, people being able to speak out and talk about their experiences. And I listened to Danny speak out this week. I felt bad because I've not spoken to him for three, four months. I thought, oh, why do you just tell me or speak to me? Your openness has clearly led to people seeing you as somebody that mm. they can talk to. Are there any experiences, examples that you would share of where you don't know where your voice is going and who might be hearing it? Yeah, I got, it started with a real negative. I was getting a lot of criticism on social media and somebody really having a go at me. And uh, somebody put my number on social media. Phone number? Yeah. I've had my number since I was 18. If you don't oh, like this man, contact him now. I know it was. It, it's been left. It's not. It's not a problem to me. But I don't change my phone number because I've had it forever, so I don't want to change it. And but the consequence of that, I did it. So maybe that's why this person got my number. I um, I spoke about before a game about how we need to think about people's welfare better. We need to have a greater understanding of who they are as a person. And if anybody's listened to this interview and you're having a bad time and things aren't great right now in your life, don't be embarrassed to go and speak to a doctor or to Samaritans. Go and just go on the internet. We all have the access to do that. And just find a way or in a local newspaper or whatever it may be, just try and find somebody you can go and speak to to release that valve to an extent. Because it... it, it and. I, I spoke a bit deeper about it and it was live uh, and then about a day later I got a text 
you don't know who I am, I worked here, got your number because of this, this and this. And he said, I'm in a difficult place, I'm away at the moment. When I get back, I'm going to see my doctor Monday morning. This was like Sunday night. It must have been after the Saturday, so the next day. And I was like, oh. I said, can you just do me a favour? Can you text me when you're at the doctor's? I said, hopefully, I'm glad that you listened to it and hopefully it can it can impact your life slightly and, and, and you can smile. And uh, he texted me the next day at one o'clock. He said, being a doctor's, there's a, there's a plan in place now and um, moving forward, my wife's over the moon. I'm sure my kids were old enough to appreciate what's happened over the last 48 hours and you just don't realise, like, that can have an effect on people. And winning and losing come and goes in my life. I've done over 500 games. I think I've got a 40 percent win record. So that means it's 60 it's just under 60% of defeats or draws. So they come and go and they pass over 10-year periods and you remember some and others you don't remember. But I remember that text for the rest of my life. That, that made me want to do this a little bit more and that's why I want to get involved more because it'll be something that I'll never forget and that's and that means more to me than winning games of football. I'm just going to start to move. We've been talking for at least 45 minutes uh, already, <laughs> which goes incredibly quickly. And you just talked there a bit about your brain, brain going 100 miles an hour, maybe mm. even faster. And clearly our brains do need to rest. You know, part of being able to, to cope is that you've always got that release valve. Yeah. How do you look after yourself now? Oh, it's the, it's the one question we should all ask ourselves. Um, mine is golf. I love golf. I, I, I love my family. I like training. I like being in social environments. Um, I like speaking to people who, who are in my industry. Uh, and another thing about also how, how you sleep. Like sleep is is one of the most important factors of our life. Mm. And we don't respect sleep enough. There's only two there's only two natural forms of recovery, which is sleep and sun. Now <laughs> <laughs> we sit in with a minus one outside today daily so but we don't respect sleep and I think people sometimes when you and I and it's the issue I had I would stay up till one o'clock in the morning till I was really tired so I knew I'd just fall asleep without thinking mm. but there's different coping mechanisms for that so I now when I go to bed I try to go to bed a bit earlier and I read the news so away from football I might read the book, I won't read the book, but I read something that, that just takes me away. And that allows me to sleep, but not my thought process is taking me to a place that I don't want to take it to. Yeah. So, and, and it's amazing how when you wake up in the morning after a good night's sleep, it, it does help. Yeah. So I try and make sure my days when I stay away from it is just trying to be, just again, trying to be a better version of me. And that helps me being relaxed, if that makes, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So golf, family, sleep. And we talked earlier about definitely not DIY to... Uh, oh, just so, social to, to aspects of life and... Social. Yeah. Music. You talked about uh, music. What's some of the music mm. that can take you away? Oh, Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Kenny Rogers, the gambler. <laughs> uh, no, this, I just, we'll I, put the link to that no, in I, the I, I, uh, notes so, as well. I love music. I do. I'm addicted to music. 
I have a feeling we could do a whole other podcast on music alone. <laughs> right, so, we're done. Uh, we're done. Uh, I'm going to say thank you very much for coming. Oh, thank you so much and um, talking to us about it. And I think you know, don't underestimate the power of a football manager coming in and talking about mental health. It's a big deal. No, thank you. it means a lot. And I hope, I hope if, like I say, if, if one person listens to this and there's a light bulb moment in that one person, it's worth. You, you do this every day of the week if that if that can be the case. So thank you for your time as well. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Carl. A little bit different this week, and I hope that you enjoyed it. I'm sure that you'll agree that Carl is a brilliant storyteller, and it's really clear to me that he wants football to be driving the mental health agenda within sport. Carl and I were both on Sky Sport News a few weeks ago, talking about the importance of maintaining our mental and our physical health during this period. If you want to see clips of that, links will be in the description. You can also find out more about the fantastic work that Carl and the team at Oxford have been doing in the description too. I hope that you're keeping well and supporting each other during this period. A reminder that if you're working from home, there are lots of resources available on our website for both looking after yourself and some guidance on how to support your colleagues remotely if you're a mental health first aider. Please do continue to rate and review Just About Coping and share your thoughts using the hashtag JAC podcast. We'll be back next week, but for now, I'm Simon Blake, and thank you for coping with us. <laughs>